You're listening to the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audience. Sonic Echo. Welcome back to another fine Sonic Echo where we S-E-M-F-T, S-E-M-F-T, <laughs> Sonic Echo means fine theater. And tonight's show <laughs> with my amigos, Jeffrey Billard. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jack. <laughs> How are you tonight? I'm fantastic. That's I was going to mention that L-S-M-F-T because I couldn't listen to those commercials anymore with the repeats. Yeah, I know. All the repeats. <laughs> LSMFT, LSMFT. <laughs> That's right. We'll get back to that. But first, we have our other amigo, of course, Lothar Tuppen. Hey, Lothar. I'm smooth and fully packed. <laughs> I've heard that of about you. you are. <laughs> <laughs> it is going around the internet. Tonight's show, we're going to be talking about a classic show of Jack Benny. Jack Benny, the famous comedian that had both television and radio performances and sort of leaked on to other people's shows as well as his own all through his career. A man who inspired a number of different comedians, not least of which is Kelsey Grammer, who did a uh, particular documentary on him on television at one point, talking about how much he loved Jack Benny. Have you guys listened to Jack Benny before? Yes, yes. He's a master and always has been. I mean, that was one of the things like, I don't think I I could have grown up in my house without allowing my father to educate me a little (laughs) bit about Jack Benny. You you know, I had listened to Jack Benny before, but not so much because he's a little bit before, you know, my time growing up in the 60s and 70s. And uh, every once in a while, I'd see him and uh, I certainly appreciated his comedy and his timing and and all of that, his characters. So, yeah. So I haven't listened to many of his radio shows, but uh, certainly wonderful. He's been a family favorite. And when I mean a family, I think mostly on my mom's side of the family. My dad Mm -hmm. really enjoys Jack Benny, too. But I, I saw my mom talking with her brothers about Jack Benny comedy and the styles. And I remember early on, if you remember Warner Brothers, they did a cartoon with like a Jack Benny kind of mouse. Mm-hmm. And I, I, do. do, I didn't yes. make that connection at that time because I didn't know all of the shtick that he had. And it usually comes down to him being really, really cheap, right. which is kind of the main element of tonight's show. This has been known as traditionally the longest laugh on radio. The truth is it isn't. Oh, okay. And so it's a myth. That's the reason why I'm kind of bringing it up is that it really wasn't the longest laugh, but I remember it as being the longest laugh. So I was kind of shocked when I listened to it again and my brain thought that this laugh was going to go on as long as it did, but it never did. But still, this is still considered to be, if you talk to people, they'll say this is the longest laugh on radio and it isn't. So we'll talk about which one is and which one wow. isn't okay. uh, a little later on when we do the final analysis. Well, why don't we, uh, unless someone has something pertinent to say, why don't we just get right into it and then... And and then talk all things Jack Benny. Sounds great to me. (laughs) Sounds good. So let's head right to the show. It's called Jack is Robbed of Ronald Coleman's Oscar. (laughs) The Jack Benny Program, presented by Lucky Strike. Lucky Strike and Lucky Strike alone offers you important evidence gathered in the tobacco country by the world-famous Crossley Pole. This evidence reveals the smoking preference of auctioneers, buyers, and warehousemen, the men who really know tobacco, 
Here's what the Crosley Poll found. For their own personal smoking enjoyment, independent tobacco experts again name Lucky Strike first choice. Lucky Strike first choice over any other brand. These experts know their business. Their overwhelming preference for Lucky Strike, we believe, has a direct relationship to the quality tobacco we purchase for Lucky's and to the real, deep-down smoking enjoyment you may expect from fine tobacco. And when these veteran tobacco experts name Lucky Strike first choice for their own personal smoking enjoyment, then you know... L-S-M-F-T. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. And fine tobacco is what counts in a cigarette. So smoke the smoke tobacco experts smoke Lucky Strike. Remember, independent tobacco experts again name Lucky Strike first choice. Lucky Strike... First choice over any other brand. The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Barry Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. to Jack Benny's house in Beverly Hills where we find... Hmm, must be something wrong here. Oh, that's what it says. Where we find Jack down on his knees scrubbing the kitchen floor. Hmm, I didn't know a floor could get this dirty. Well, anyway, the floor scrubbed. What a job. Now, let's see, what else is on that list of things I have to do? Oh, yes, I've already dusted the bedroom, turned the mattresses, Changed the linen on the bed, did the dishes, washed the... Hello? Hello, Mr. Perry, this is Rochester. I just finished 18 holes of golf. <laughs> oh, you did, eh? Yeah. Did you wash the living room windows? Yes, yes. Did you put out the garbage? It's out, it's out. Did you scrub the kitchen floor? I just did that. Good. Uh, when will dinner be ready? <laughs> Seven o'clock, and it's the last time I'll play gin rummy with you. <laughs> Goodbye. One game of gin rummy, and I have to do all the housework. I got to do it tomorrow, too. He blitzed me. <laughs> Gosh, am I tired. Scrubbing that floor was quite a job. When I take my bubble bath tonight, I must have forget to put some jurgens on my knees. <laughs> Now, before I take off this apron and dust cap, I better... No, there's the door buzzer. Oh, I beg your pardon, miss, but I guess I have the wrong... Dennis, it's me. (laughs) Oh, yes. Gee, you look cute in that apron. I'm not trying to look cute. I was down scrubbing the floor, and it wasn't easy. I'll pull up my pants leg and show you. There, look at my knees. (whistles) Now, cut that out! Come in. All right, but there's a package addressed to you lying out on the walk. There is? Why don't they deliver those things to the door? I'll go out and get it. <whistles> Dennis! Wasn't me, it was that man across the street. <laughs> what? You forgot to roll down your pants leg. <laughs> oh, yes. Hmm, they are kind of nice, aren't they? <laughs> if I can get a little more tan, I can go without stockings. <laughs> 
pretty girl is like a melody. Here, kid, hold the package while I get my glasses. Dennis, what are you doing? I opened the package. Gee, look at the picture script from Warner Brothers. Well, thank goodness. I've been waiting for it all week. And there's a letter with it from Harry Warner. A letter from Harry Warner? What does he say? He says, Dear Jack, enclose fine script and contract for your next picture as agreed upon. And it's the last time I'll play gin rummy with you. Hmm. What does that mean, Mr. Benny? Nothing, nothing. Now, kid, what'd you drop over for? Well, Mr. Benny, I want to ask you something very personal. Personal? What is it? Just a second while I close the door. All right, kid, what is it? Anybody else at home? No, no, we're all alone. What is it you want to know? Wait till I close the window. All right, Dennis, all right. What is it? Mr. Benny. Yes? Are you the walking man? (laughs) Dennis. Dennis, come here a minute. Huh? Let me feel your head. No, the other one. Now, look, kid, I want to go over this script that Warner Brothers sent me. So excuse me a minute. Hmm, it's a Western. Good title, too. Bad Man of Bullock's Basement. (laughs) Scene one. Fade in on Ranch House. As the moon comes up in the east, the sagebrush casts weird shadows across Black Buzzard Gulch. Before you get too interested in that script, wouldn't you like to hear the song I prepared for the program? Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Right, sing, kid. I can listen to you and read at the same time. Okay. The horses are better down for the night when suddenly a shot is heard in the You vomit. One more shot out of you, and I'll thrash you within an inch of your life. But, gee, I sang as good as I could. Huh? Oh, oh, pardon me, kid. I, while you were singing, I was reading the script. Oh. It's a Western, you know, and I guess I got carried away. 
I know. You rode me piggyback through the last half of the course. <laughs> I'm sorry, kid. Well, then get off. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You know, kid, your pockets make nice stirrups there. Anyway, this is the best story. I... Somebody came in. Rochester, is that you coming back? It ain't General MacArthur. <laughs> well, it's about time. Hey, what's that you're reading, boy? It's a script from Warner Brothers, and it looks great. Gee, if I'd have made this picture last year, I would have won the Academy Award instead of Ronald Coleman. If you'd have made it in that dust cap and apron, you'd have won it instead of Loretta Young. <laughs> never mind. You know, boss, I wish you would win an Academy Award sometime. I've never seen an Oscar. You haven't? Well, Rochester, your wish may come true, because if I make this picture, I'm a cinch to win it. And maybe if you had someone with you in a supporting role, it might help. Well, a good supporting actor does add something, uh... Who did you have in mind, Dennis? Ronald Coleman. <laughs> Ronald in my picture? Say, that's a pretty good idea. I mean, now that he won the award, he certainly is worthy of the opportunity. <laughs> you know, I may go next door and speak to Mr. Coleman about it. I wonder if he's home. Where are you, Ronnie? In the library, Benita. You know, maybe I haven't told you this before, but it's very nice being here, alone together, away from the crowd. Ronnie, stop talking to that Oscar and pay some attention to me. I'm sorry, dear. Ah, but you were thrilled winning it, weren't you? Well, you know, it's hard to describe exactly how it feels. There I sat in the Shrine Auditorium, one person among an audience of 6,200 people, and then they called my name. As I walked to the stage, my entire career flashed before my eyes. From the time I made my first appearance in London many years ago, as a banjo player. Well, I didn't know you ever played the banjo. Oh, yes, yes. I plunked a mean plink. <laughs> I used to be billed as the London Eddie Peabody. <laughs> and then I packed my belongings, took my banjo along... And came to America. Here I was billed as England's answer to Frank Remley. <laughs> yes, yes. Those, those were the things I kept thinking of during the Academy ceremonies. And I've no actual recollection of them presenting me with the Oscar. Well, you certainly were the most excited person on the stage. I excited? Was it noticeable? Very. Especially when you went over to congratulate the other award winners. Why, what did I do? You slapped Loretta Young on the back and kissed Daryl Zanuck. <laughs> no. <laughs> and you greeted everyone. You even shook hands with Jack Benny. <laughs> well, I didn't mean to. He stuck his arm through Gregory Peck's sleeve. <laughs> Anyway, darling, I wish we could have just one evening at home without mentioning Jack Benny. Oh, darling, why do you dislike him? So he means well, and he does try to be helpful. But only this morning, he was walking around our yard helping our gardener. He wasn't helping. He was looking for Easter eggs. <laughs> Wearing that bunny suit, yes. 
I aimed a kick and just missed his cottontail. Uh, why we moved next door to him, I'll never know. Ah, but we had such a beautiful home. Yes, but other people have beautiful homes, too. They can look out of their windows and see rolling green hills. Or the lights of the city spread out like a carpet of jewels. Or the golden sun setting on the Pacific. I look out of my window and see Jack Benny luxing his undies. Well, the ones you saw yesterday were yours. Oh. Yes. yes, well, he did them rather well. But why doesn't he stick to the laundry business instead of going on the radio? Surrounding himself with all those characters. Oh, darling. Mary Livingston's such a nice girl. Oh, I don't mean Mary. I'm talking about the others. Take that Phil Harris fellow. <laughs> now, the way he conducted himself at the party after the Academy Awards. Oh, I didn't see him there. Very few people did. As soon as he arrived, he got a bottle, went off in a corner, and just sat there. <laughs> Wasn't he lonely? Lonely, but loaded. <laughs> Sometimes I say, oh, Benita, look. Look out this window. Isn't that Phil Harris now? Where? He's walking towards Benny's house. Oh, isn't that strange? I thought he was younger than that. He's carrying a plane. No, no, darling. That, that's a pool cue. <laughs> Just look at the way he swaggers when he walks. I wonder if I can reach the doorbell from out here on the sidewalk. Better chalk up first. There's nobody here but a long finger. <laughs> hey, it's me, Rod. Oh, hello, Phil. Hiya, Jackson. Hello, Dennis. Hello, Phil. Phil, what's the idea of walking through the streets with a pool cue? I wonder. See what's engraved on the handle? Where? Right there. <laughs> this pool cue was presented to Phil Harris for outstanding achievement in furthering the art of snooker. <laughs> Well, isn't that wonderful, winning a pool cue? Yeah, and if I hadn't scratched my last shot, I would have won the engraved cuspidor. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Sure it is. I already bought a doily for it. <laughs> you know, Phil, sometimes I wonder why I put up with you. Why a star of my magnitude, a man of my dignity, a person who holds such a stellar place in society, should condescend to continue such a lowly association. Well, hoy, tea, toy. <laughs> Hey, let me ask you something, Jackson. What have you got to be so stuck up about? Well... Show me you need. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Phil, the point I'm trying to make is that you're content to go along day after day in the same old rut. But not me. I'm progressing. In fact, right now, I'm thinking of making a picture with Ronald Coleman. So, if you I You get... in a picture with Ronald Coleman? <laughs> you better chalk up and shoot again, Dad. <laughs> What? And keep one foot on the floor. Well, I'm serious. What's so surprising about me and Ronald Coleman being in the same picture? Yeah, what's so surprising about it? After all, Mr. Benny was the star of Random Harvest. What? He has it embroidered on his underwear. Dennis, those aren't mine. <laughs> anyway, Phil, whether you believe it or not, I'm going over to Ronald Coleman's right now. See if... Come in! Oh, hello, Don. Hello, Jack. Hi, fellas. Hello, Dante. Say, Jack, I just dropped in for a minute. I want you to hear the number your sportsman quartet has prepared. Don, can't we do it tomorrow? I got to run next door to see Ronald Coleman. He and I are going to make a picture together. 
I don't think that last sentence got through the fat in my head. <laughs> Would you mind repeating it? Not at all. I said, Ronald Coleman and I are going to make a picture. No. I can't get over all you guys. What's so amazing about me and Coleman being in a picture together? Show him your knees. Then <laughs> you stay out. Now, Don, I haven't got time to listen to the quartet. I'll see you tomorrow. But, Jack, this number's so novel, I think you ought to hear it. It's a Western. Don, I don't care if it... A Western? Say, maybe that would fit in my picture. All right, Don, let's hear the number. Go ahead. I'm an old cowhand from the Rio Grande. But my legs ain't bold and my cheeks ain't I'm a cowboy who never saw a cow, never rode a steer, cause I don't know how, and the show ain't fixing to start in now. Yippee-yi-yo-ki-yay. That's wonderful. yippee yi yo That's it, right in my picture. Oh, carry me not from the lone prairie. Just give me a lucky strike. L-S-M-F-T-N-F-T. Or they are the first choice all over the range. Great. And all the cowboys say they'll never No, no, Don, I don't want Indians in it. I just want a Western. No, Don, no Indians in the picture. Just for a Western. No, look at Don. Wait. Wait a minute, Don. I see him right now. Now, where's my picture strip? Oh, here it is. Oh, good evening, Sherwood. Oh, good evening, Mr. Benny. Is Mr. Coleman at home? Yes, come in. Uh, may I take your hat? There you are. Uh, your coat? Thank you. Your apron? What? Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness, I forgot to take it off. Uh, would you tell Mr. Coleman that I'm here? Uh, very well. Yes, Sherbert? Uh, forgive me, sir, but Cottontail Benny is here. <laughs> no, no, send him away. Tell him we're not at home. Well, wait a minute, darling. Maybe Jack's just trying to be neighborly. He, he probably wants to congratulate you on winning the Academy Award. Well. Show Mr. Benny in, Sherwood. Uh, yes, ma'am. I, I even got a sporting of him. After all, he must have been a bit hurt when we didn't go over and congratulate him on being the walking man. You know, for eight long weeks, he just walked around in a circle. Yeah, too bad he didn't straighten it out. He'd be in Chicago by now. <laughs> anyway, I I still feel that this is a trick. He's over here to borrow something. Oh, why do you always suspect that, Ronnie? Well, he already has my electric shaver, portable radio, phonograph, bridge lamp, cocktail shaker, electric blanket, fountain pen, tuxedo, 
And Wednesday night was the last straw. Why? What happened? He told me he was going to the Palladium, his girlfriend had to work, and he wanted to borrow you. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? I haven't done the shimmy in years. Now, Benita. Here he comes. Hello, Benita. Hiya, Ronnie. Long time no see. Hello. Hello, Jack. Jack, I haven't seen you since the dinner party last Saturday night. Yeah, well, that a wonderful dinner. Too bad you couldn't have been at my table. Oh, that's all right, Jack. The man we had served beautifully. <laughs> well, by the way, Ronnie, I didn't get a chance to talk to you Saturday night, so I just came over to congratulate you on winning the Academy Award. Thank you, Jack. Good night. Huh? <laughs> oh, well, we... He just meant it was a good night to have won the award. Oh, 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 I see. <laughs> well, Ronnie, the real reason I came over here is to offer you a part in a movie that I'm going to make for Warner Brothers. You're making a movie, and you have a part for me? That's right, and it's something you've never done before. I'm sure. <laughs> you know, it, it's a western. It's a western, Ronnie, and you'll play a cowboy. Me? A cowboy? Yeah, I, I brought along the script so you could read a few lines just to see how you like it. Oh, uh, look, Jack, I have no intention Ronnie, of... why don't you read it? It might be a grand opportunity. Oh, well, all right. Good. Now, Benita, will you do me a favor and read the feminine lead with oh, Ronnie? Oh, oh, wait a minute, Jack. I mean, I don't now, want Now, now, Benita, read. why don't you read it? It may be a grand opportunity. <laughs> all right. Yes, I will. Good. Now, start reading on page three where you two meet for the first time. Now, go ahead, Ronnie. Remember, you're a cowboy. Shucks, ma'am, I sure am plumb sorry I killed that hombre. I reckon I didn't reckon he was your paw. I reckon. Well, you sure plugged poor paw. But even though he's gone, I reckon he'll be happy to know you're apologizing for an honest mistake. Uh, I reckon. A, a little more feeling, Benita, then. Shucks, Missy, ma'am. I sure feel like an ornery coyote for a shooting your kinfolk. Uh, uh, bow your legs a little there, will you? <laughs> yeah, poor sure looks strange lying there in the tumbleweed. <laughs> Cold and dead. Now, now, this is your big speech, Ronnie, so be very, very tender. Wait a minute, little lady. Don't say dead. The cowboy is never dead. Just say he's traveled onward. Up to that big corral up yonder in the sky. Where all you can hear is the harps of the angels. And the singing of the sons of the pioneers. <laughs> oh, good heavens, what was that? Me, I'm playing the part of your horse. Good. The scene where you break your leg and I have to shoot you? <laughs> I'm sorry, Jack, but this part isn't for me. Well, okay, Ronnie. I was just trying to do you a favor, you know. It's your career. But when the picture comes out and it's a big hit, remember, I offered you the part before I took it to Gabby Hayes. <laughs> anyway, back to your decision. I'll be running along. Good night, Ronnie. Good night, Benita. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thanks for uh, nice of you to think of me. Well, I always like to help. Hey, wait a minute. Ronnie, is that your Oscar on the table with the floodlights on it? Yes. Say, do you mind if I look at it? Well, gosh, it's really beautiful. 
You know, Rochester, my butler, has never seen an officer. Would it be all right if I borrowed it for a little while? Well, uh, oh, all right, Jack. Go ahead and take it. Gee, Darling, why did you agree to let him take the Oscar home? Might as well be with the rest of my things. <laughs> what did you say? Oh, nothing, nothing. Oh. Well, Ronnie, it's awfully nice of you. Thanks a lot. I'll just wrap the Oscar in this copy of tonight's newspaper. I haven't read it yet. But <laughs> there we are. Well, good night. Good, good night. night. It was nice of him to let me take the Oscar so I could show it to Rochester. I must have stayed there longer than I thought. So dark out. No moon. Oh, well. Hello, kitty. Hey, kitty, 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 kitty. Darn it, she got away. She'd have made a wonderful A string. Hey, Bud. Bud. Huh? Got a match? Match? Yes, I have one right here. Don't make a move. This is a stick-up. What? You heard me. Mister. Mister, put down that gun. Shut up. Now, come on. Your money or your life. <laughs> Look, bud. I said your money or your life. I'm thinking it over. <laughs> Now, mister... Shut up and give me your wallet. And I'll take that package you're holding, too. No, no, mister, don't take that package. It's mine. It belongs to Ronald Coleman. Shut up. But, mister, please... Hey, this looks like gold. I'll melt it down... But it isn't the... mine. I have to return it. Pipe down. And lay down on the sidewalk, face down, and count to a hundred. Look, mister, can't we... Go on. Don't make a move or I'll let you have it. Okay, okay. Down on your face and start counting. Yes, sir. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine... Ten. Go away, Kitty. Eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Kitty, stop licking my face. I got enough trouble. Fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Kitty, go away from here. Nineteen, twenty. What will I tell Ronnie? Twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four. We'll be back in just a minute, but first, here's Basil Rysdale. Independent tobacco experts again name Lucky Strike first choice. Lucky Strike first choice over any other brand. The famous Crossley poll has just completed an impartial survey in 11 southern tobacco states. This poll, taken among the tobacco experts themselves, reveals the smoking preference of the men who really know tobacco. Yes, for their own personal smoking enjoyment, independent tobacco experts again name Lucky Strike first choice. Lucky Strike first choice over any other brand. These are the experts, auctioneers, buyers, and warehousemen. And we believe their overwhelming preference for Lucky Strike has a direct relationship to the quality tobacco we purchase for Lucky. You've heard the poll results. Now listen to what Mr. Herbert Highsmith, independent tobacco buyer from North Carolina, recently said. Season after season, I've seen the makers of Lucky Strike buy quality tobacco. Smooth, ripe, and mild. I've smoked Lucky 15 years. So for your own real, deep-down smoking enjoyment, remember... L-S-M-F-T. 
L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. 96, 97, 98, 99, 100. Help! Help! Police! Police! Will Jack Benny recover the stolen Oscar? Will Ronald Coleman sue him? Will Bing Crosby be our guest next week? Tune in and find out! back and we got a chance to listen to Ronald Coleman as a, as a guest star. Ronald Coleman uh, in this Jack Benny show by the way is his neighbor so he shows up in several different episodes. Ronald Coleman famous movie stage screen actor got onto the Jack Benny show later on but let's first your initial thoughts about the Jack Benny show. Well I thought whoever played the cat was absolutely excellent. <laughs> I agree. But no, he is... The, the whole thing is just... I mean, the, the timing is perfect. Everything is perfect. Yes. There's so much to talk about. I had a lot of fun also looking into some of the references. Because again, that's the whole yeah, thing with like do. temporal comedy travels is, what the hell is that? And so it was kind of fun looking up the different jokes and everything. Like a cuspidor? Yes, exactly. Otherwise known as a spittoon. Uh, yeah. Right. So that was a Phil Harris line a little later on, exactly. right? When he got the pool cue. Yeah. And if he just didn't scratch, yeah. which means he didn't yeah. miss the, the ball for those people who don't know snooker, right. he, he, he yeah. would have got the yeah. engraved yes, the engraved yes. exactly. How wonderful would that have yes. been? And, and, and he has a doily ready for it, which I think is great. <laughs> That's yeah. right. He bought yeah. a doily. A doily, yeah. too, yeah. Has anybody seen a doily around in... 2018. I remember having doilies. <laughs> yeah, actually, Jan and I have doilies. We use them. We have uh, Ooh, like chargers that, yeah, that we put I'd... fine china on when we have people over for dinner. We're, we're real old school that's that way. Awesome. Don't own a doily. I yeah. thought you were going to say you have chargers yeah, for I was your doilies. Say, right? wow, how, do you, <laughs> how do you charge up a doily? <laughs> And for people who don't know what a charger is, it's basically a very large right. plate that you put another plate on, right. and it's just there to, to stage the oh, plate. Very but, cool. Yeah. So there's a couple of elements, too, that I wanted to talk very quickly about what makes a Jack Benny comedy and how, I think, in many ways, Jack Benny sort of set the stage for not just radio comedy, but also later on television sitcom style stuff as well. Mm -hmm. So there's something specifically that we don't do. I don't find that people do very well in comedy in audio drama. This isn't so much of a criticism as I think people aren't aware of the value and I think I call it radio gags. I don't know what it is but things that are only funny if it's explained what's happening. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Like for example, we're moving forward a little bit but there's the song going on of the western tune that Dennis Day sings. Yes. <laughs> and then Very funny. and then yeah. they said, you know, that was really great and you know, I felt like I was riding around the western and then they said, yeah, get off of my back mm -hmm. because you were riding me around that was a good bit. That joke was my favorite joke out of the whole yeah, thing. I thought too. that the timing was perfect. The whole, I'm sorry, kid. Well, then get off. And the yeah. way that Dennis delivered That's the, right. well, then get off right. just yes. made it perfect. It was like perfectly set up, perfectly knocked down. And I thought that was, for me, a more effective joke than the than the major punchline of the whole episode with, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Yeah. That's right. And and the thing is, I also like his next comeback line, which was almost thrown off because, you know, your pockets are good steerers. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I thought that, because again, these are things that you describe and people kill themselves laughing because of the imagery but it's something that doesn't happen until after the description is happening, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And people don't do that in comedy as much. People are very good with the back and forth of the comedic stuff. But being able to say something and then being able to a twist on it by, by explaining what the person's actually doing can really add some very you know funny 
and strange responses to what's actually happening in, in the scene. Right well, it's almost like, and you know, a real joke meister would be able to analyze this a little bit better. It seems to me that it's almost like a dialogue version of the punchline to where explaining that is part of the, oh, now I'm getting the absurdity. Yes. And the fact that I didn't mm-hmm. visually in yes. my mind see what was going on is part of the tension Absolutely. that lets that absurdity actually happen. And then you get the is laugh. Is there a version of that on stage, Jeff? Of explaining it? In that kind of comedy? I think just in a visual way, sure. Like I think if you're thinking like, for example, um, it's Twelfth Night, right? Where um, right. the character comes yeah. out in, in the yellow stockings, right? Yes, yes. Malvolio. Yep. Having that, what they would do in radio is they would build that yellow stockings as part of a punchline. Okay. And so they have the person come out sounding as stuffy as possible and then say something mm-hmm. like that. Oh, yeah. they do that again with Jack Benny. And, they, and here's another thing that Jack does beautifully is callback. Oh, definitely. It's one of my favorite things in comedy. And they do a ton yeah. of great callbacks. So I love that they talked about how he was hunting around for eggs mm-hmm. in uh, Ronald Coleman's right. backyard yeah. because he's stingy and he wants to find all these kind of stuff. And they had real eggs back in the day. And then they said he was lucky up his his underwear and which we, they mean you know the soap lux lux and right. lux cleaning and then she just sort of throws off ronald coleman's wife throws off the fact that well actually you know it was your underwear that he was doing <laughs> it and then later on there's a comment about that he's got a movie title which was uh random, random harvest yeah and i random think that actually harvest. came earlier but yeah we get the little thing of like what dennis saying oh yeah he was the star of random harvest it's in his underwear and benny's like that, that's not my underwear <laughs> <laughs> exactly Exactly. Which is just a complete callback yep. to that whole thing, mm-hmm. right? So The whole stuff with Ronald Coleman was just hilarious. And the whole setup, yes. I mean, I, I love the, you know, Rochester earlier on saying, I've never seen an Oscar before and this and that and the other. And it's just, it was really tightly plotted mm-hmm. as well as setting up the jokes. Yeah. And this is another thing too, is they polarize the cast really well, right? They they have such a good job of having voice differences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dennis Day sounds like Dennis Day and nobody else on the stage, right? Oh, yep. yeah. And let's not even get into Rochester, how different his voice is compared to <laughs> Great voice. And yeah. Phil Harris has a very distinct voice. Mm-hmm. And then Mel Blanc. Oh, uh, right. Phil Harris was fun. Oh, I love Phil Harris, yep. right? And we can talk about all of those guys and what they bring to the table, too. And, you know, even Don Wilson, the, the, announcer. Uh, the announcer, he brings his own thing, too, as well. Jack Benny's job is those people are to be foils for Jack Benny, but more often than not, mm-hmm. they're the ones that get yep. some of the best lines. Yes. At yeah. his expense. Right. So he's been really good at being able to be, you know, very generous. Yeah. And just being almost like, you know, now people would call it showrunner or something, you know, where it's like he's setting everybody else up to be able to be funny. Right. It's about the whole show being funny, not just him delivering cool jokes and being the cool guy. Yeah, often that is overlooked. Like we were talking about that in Martin and Lewis episode right. that we did that, right? Like the, the mm-hmm. person yep. who's there and Abbott and Costello, the idea. Abbott and Costello. Like, yep. Abbott is so often overlooked, but man, his timing is perfect to set up Costello, right? Yep. He knows exactly how to be able to set him up and how much pause to have before. And of course, Costello is great too, but together... They really need that straight man to work. And, and Jack Benny does a really good job in that. Yep. It's interesting that Mary Livingston is his wife in the show and in real life. No. And she isn't in this episode. Do you know why she isn't in a lot of episodes later on? Uh, Was she raising kids? Nope. Stage fright. Really? Really? Yeah. The more she did it, the more upsetting and, and freaked out she was. And they eventually had to write her off the show. Basically. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It was very surprising. Also, an interesting little story. Apparently, she was a horrible woman. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I guess George and Grace 
Tracy Allen talked about it specifically that he hated having them over, not because of Jack, he loved Jack, but she was just an awful person to have over. Oh. That being said, despite the fact that she treated Jack really badly, when he died, he left her well taken care of, of course, and gave a single red rose delivered to her every day for the rest of her really? life. Really? And a dozen roses on her birthday. Wow. So you can imagine, you know, obviously for somebody who always comes across as being very unromantic and somebody who's a spendthrift and all that kind of stuff, he actually really wasn't in real life. He actually was really generous. There was a really interesting thing too that I was reading about Rochester. Do you know his last name in the show? Rochester? No. Yeah? Ro- Rochester Van Jones. I, well, no, I, I looked it up. It's, is it Von Van Jones. Van Jones. Van Jones. Yeah, yeah Von Ronchester Van Jones. Van Jones. And he was played by Eddie Anderson, which is interesting because he's like the only character who's a real character who's not the main character's voice, like his real name. Yep. And part of the reason why is that he actually appeared, he was originally hired to play a single role of a red cap in uh-huh. the Jack Benny program. And then he just kept coming back because he was so popular. Right. So, you know, and then of course he ended up working for Jack. But after World War II, they decided that they were going to like strike any of the racist overtones that came from stuff like that. Yep. I was going to yeah. bring that up. Yeah. yeah. Did you? What did you find yeah. from that, Jack? I, I was going to actually ask that. when I hadn't listened to Jack Benny in so long. And then the second I heard Rochester, I went, oh boy, you know, is, is this going to be some kind of racial stereotype? And this is, a, this is 1948, so this is post-World War II. And that was my fear. And then right. I didn't find that it was in this show. And then I looked it up just a little bit, and I, I found the same thing that you had just said, Jack, about they made a conscious effort to make them equals. And, yeah. and I thought that was yeah. very positive, especially for 1948. And yeah. there's, you know, there's one, like a New Year's Eve show or something, where they toast each other yeah. you know, and have champagne together. And, and even though he's his valet slash chauffeur, I guess, in the show, yeah. their repartee is on something of an equal basis, at least in this show. Now, I haven't listened yeah. to the old shows, so I don't know what... Yeah. For the most part, they are. And I always wondered, was... You know, Benny and whoever else was working with him to come up with this, if they were influenced by Wodehouse at all. By by what? With Wooster and Jeeves. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, okay. Because the the dynamic seems very similar, and and I don't even remember when Wodehouse was writing, if it was before or after. I just know the time period he was writing about was previous. But, you know, that whole sort of dynamic of the rich boss who's a little bit of a buffoon and needs his servant, quote-unquote, who's actually one of his best friends to sort of keep him out of trouble, is very much in that that model, which, while it wasn't dealing with uh, race issues uh, with Wodehouse, it was dealing with class structure. Class. And, you know, showing the, lack of a better term, a, a certain type of equality quality that goes on and the real relationships that can form irregardless of that. And I thought that was one of the cool things between Rochester and Benny is that, you know, Rochester really is the only guy who really has his head on straight in the two when they have their dynamics and Benny's always a little bit more eccentric and has to be reined back in. Mm-hmm. And Benny brings on a lot more um, famous black performers of the time. He brought on Louis Armstrong. He brought on the Ink okay. Spots. He brought on a lot of people like that. He was often reacting to try to bring better relations before we ever had JFK and all that stuff going on he was doing his best to try to do it i remember there were times they said that he would organize to leave rochester behind as a character when he was in these in certain like military bases because he was worried that they were going to put him in a separate place to okay so he didn't want that and then i guess benny they brought the entire cast to canada at jack benny's expense to perform for various branches of canadian services and anderson and his wife were given like a warm welcome so they were always together in the end anderson ended up 
being one of the highest paid African-American actors at the time. He had an annual salary of 100000 Wow. And Ebony Magazine listed him as one of the 100 wealthiest African-Americans. Huh. So he did really well. It's funny because this sort of idea that Jack being so cheap, somebody like wrote in a scolding letter to Jack Benny saying he's only pay him more or to, or to sue Jack Benny for it. But the truth oh, wow. was Anderson had his own valet. So. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I wonder. So he did really well yeah. for that reason. And so. I, did, I did just look it up. Uh, Wodehouse uh, was, uh, wrote his first Jeeves novel, I think, in 1920. Okay. So, so anyway. And I wonder if, you know, Benny's sensitive to that because of being Jewish. I wonder if he was ever, uh, you know, had anti-Semitic oh, yeah. things happen with him. You know, I just, that's yeah. just a thought I had. You're right. And he didn't play that part up. He didn't talk about that side of him right. very often because back in the day, that might have been a, a negative mm-hmm. in, in that respect, right? And, so, and along yeah. the same lines, a couple of things that dawned on me when I was pondering this is you said it, Jack, in the open about Benny having such an influence later on TV. Mm-hmm. And the thing that came to mind right away for me when I thought about that was was Seinfeld. Yeah. And with Je- well, you have Jerry Seinfeld, the character, and Jerry Seinfeld, the real person. And they're not necessarily the same thing. You have Jack Benny, the character, and Jack Benny, the person. And they're not necessarily the same thing because as you've pointed out of Jack Benny's generosity. Mm-hmm. And of course, he's known as a skin flint. Yeah. You know, and and how much those two things bleed into each other. It's kind of a meta thing. And then with the cast, with the Rochester and all of those people, and you've got, of course, George and Elaine and, and all of that happening on Seinfeld. And uh, then I also thought when you talked about Jeeves, I also thought about that show Benson from the 70s. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like how far out does Jack Benny's well, and Influence I've seen, you know, go. people like uh, Bob Newhart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a ton of Definitely. old classic sitcom actors that also came out of stage and vaudeville, if not first generation, then second generation. And mm-hmm. the legacy of Benny and people like him that, you know, maybe just weren't quite as good, but still just as you know powerful there at that foundational time period is quite long. And I think we're still seeing it today to a certain degree. No question. Yeah. I know that the influence on me specifically is I've listened to so many Jack Benny shows and I love them so much that it certainly was a main influence for the Jack and Shannon show. And so that's oh, nice. mm. so I love right. that show. That's, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, mm-hmm. I, well, and, the, and the, the recreation that you did a number of years ago was just hilarious. That's what I was going to mention too. I don't, I, I thought it was terrible because I, I was, it was a bit rushed, but I had five or six Jack Benny shows that I had listened to and I cut them to pieces and tried to throw myself in the role of Jack that I was sort of sent back to his radio show. And I don't know how well it worked out, but I had fun making it and fun doing it and realizing, oh my God, I am so bad compared to Jack Benny. There is no way I could be nearly (laughs) as effective as him. I thought it was great. And this is before you and I got to know each other. So I'm not just biased because you're my friend. Uh, That's really kind of you. I'm sure Jeff you missed out on that one, so. Uh, I, well, no, I would love to. I would love to listen to it because I never heard it. No, nope. I'll see if I can put it in the show notes, the link, if I can, for that reason. Because uh, yeah, I understand. Yeah, that was. I think it was a Christmas show that I, I sort of came up with. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah, it was fun because I, I like the idea of being able to. Because I mean, it's just like the dead man don't wear plaid. If you remember mm-hmm. that that sort of idea with Steve Martin, where he like cut himself together with all those old-fashioned film noir movies. Right, yes, and, right. Uh, it was a fun way to sort of do that. I, l- I always love that idea of being able to take mm. some of the great stories and put them together and come up with an interesting story. It brought up something for me. Have you ever listened to one of Bill's originals where he takes Jaws and he cuts it up? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
and, and yeah. he inserts himself in. Yeah, we talked about that in the uh, in the Jaws episode. Remember that? Yep. Remember when he did that? He just uses the the film, the audio from the totally film, and then he, he puts right. himself in and it's stuff like that. It's so That's it reminded me of that. Yeah. And for our uh, generation, I think one of the reasons why my dad did want to introduce me to Jack Benny early on is because I was a huge Bugs Bunny fan. Right. And you know, and really, I mean, not. Mel Blanc aside, you know, in, in his own brilliance, but and coming out of that whole same sort of Jack Benny milieu, but outside of that, even it's like you can't have Warner Brothers cartoons without Jack Benny and some of the other vaudeville stars. And it's when you're young, you think, oh, this is where it's coming from. And then you realize that it's actually metatextual jokes to other comedians yes. being brought into it and doesn't, you know, at first it's like, oh, they didn't come up with it on their own. And then you realize that that's brilliant in its own right. And it's just, no question, you know, keeping the, it's like a capacitor for the circuit and keeping it going. Right, right, right. And it seems to me like the Jack Benny, I probably read this somewhere, but it seems to me like the Jack Benny show is kind of a mixture of some vaudeville, some sketch comedy, and some sitcom all together. Right. And growing up, being a little kid in the 60s, I was weaned on those variety shows. Oh, yeah. Right? They were everywhere, if you remember back then. Yes. Whether it was Carol Burnett or, or it was Dean Martin or it was Jackie Gleason. Or <laughs> on and on and on. Sunny, and, then, brothers, and then Sunny right? and Cher Sunny and, and Cher. Uh, Donnie and Marie. And... Yeah. Brady Bunch. Don't forget the oh, Brady everything. Bunch. Oh, <laughs> everything. Yeah. But those that variety show yeah. format was everywhere. Of course, it doesn't really exist so much now on TV. But I had blocked out the Brady Bunch variety show. Thank you for destroying my psyche now. Thank you. Oh, God. I forgot that they did like a variety show about terrible. the Brady Bunch. Oh, I didn't know horrible. that. I, I I missed that. So it, it was horrible. Episodes, I think I, I think I blocked it out. And now maybe now, that was now, just in Canada. Basically, Jack just forced me to read the Necronomicon, and I won't be sane anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Lothar has checked out. They checked out. All right. We mentioned Ronald Coleman earlier because I want to go through some of the other stars that are in the show. We talked about Rochester, and we talked a little bit about Mary. Ronald Coleman, for a lot of people who may not have known, beyond being the movie well known movie actor he had a regular radio show he had a number of shows that he was in and out of but he had a regular radio show too that was a bit of a comedy sort of a romantic comedy drama kind of thing show I guess it wasn't much on the drama, but it was still, it was a fun little show. It was produced by Don Quinn, and who also produced mm-hmm. Fibber McGee and Molly. It was called The Halls of Ivy. Have you heard that show? I have not. Yeah, I've listened to that a few times. It's, it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's not, uh, yeah. it's not, it's not hugely to my taste, but it, it's not because I think there's anything wrong with it. It just doesn't work for me. I yeah. think that's the reason why it didn't last long. It was only 49 to 52. It was just him and his wife, and he was working at a university, so there was a lot of sort of, you know, university style collegial jokes and stuff stuff like that and very very light sort of british humor kind of thing mm-hmm. and i think that thing works if you have like a jack benny kind of foil much better right you need somebody who has like very little class comparatively to that so you can have those two different things contrasting right? I, I obviously much sure. must like it better than i think i do because i think i've listened to at least 20 or 30 episodes so i you know oh boy there you but go. there was one that there was goes. actually really poignantly done about a girl who was a student there who was having some problems because her father was like the he sold hot dogs Mm -hmm. on the campus at the hot dog cart and she didn't really respect him and then they find out that he was actually like a war hero in world war one or something like that and was going to be honored and she was at first like really embarrassed and then she realized her dad was actually a war hero who was just really humble and working a steady job and going i got a steady job i got nothing to be ashamed about and 
it was really poignantly done of it had some really cool messages and and a few good jokes but mostly it was a a light drama about respecting the previous mm-hmm. generation and uh, trying to understand understanding between the two generations i think my favorite episode we're getting really off topic though i think my favorite episode was when there was like a, a romantic suitor possibility like a, a younger student who was interested in his wife <laughs> there was a real sort of he was trying not to be jealous but he was ridiculously jealous you know what i mean right. so it was greatly done that way it's good when he can come in as a guest star in the Jack Benny show. One of my favorite lines in the show, too, was when they talked about how much he dislikes Jack Benny, of course. And, and she <laughs> said, well, you shook his hand. And he said, that's only because he stuck his arm through Gregory Peck's sleeve. Yes, right. you know, that was, was hilarious. Like, like a great little image there that I loved as well, yeah. too. Did so. you guys get the banjo jokes about Eddie Peabody and Frank Remley? No, no. I didn't get back to that. Okay. Eddie Peabody, well, the, the only thing that makes it interesting, because it's like, it's pretty easy to tell, okay, they're talking about, you know, banjo players or something like that. Mm-hmm. Eddie Peabody is an American banjo player and very just that's just straightforward. The actual punchline is the Frank Remley one where I don't have it up right now, but there's if anybody does a search for Frank Remley or Frankie Remley, it gets kind of interesting because it's a fake character about this like weird a left-handed sort of aggressive guitar player, but he's part of the Jack Benny show. He was a um, a character created for a lot of other shows. It seems like from the very brief research that so someone else might out, you know, know more information about this. But the character of Frank Remley then became owned by the Jack Benny show. And when the character or when the actor who created Frank Remley went somewhere else, he couldn't use that name because it was part of the property of Frank Benny hey, or of Jack Benny. Awesome. Oh. Wow. And then, so Frank Remley, the joke about Frank Remley is that this is a fake character as part of these different larger vaudeville shows and specifically, I guess, part of Jack Benny. That is so cool. <laughs> That's great. That kind of brings us to the walking man the, comment. Yes. Who wants to speak on that? Did you guys look into that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I did find a thing about it, but it's not uh, up right now. Um, In my new studio, I'm not right next to my computer, so I can't just, like, pull things up easy. But, yeah, so go for it. Tell them about Truth or Consequences. The show was called Truth or Consequences, and I guess the host was Rolf Edwards, and they had a number of different... I remember that show. You do? I don't think I heard that one. So they had a number of different Mm -hmm. contests throughout time, and one of them was, who is the walking man? And I guess that was December 27th, 1947. They'd have footsteps of a man walking from the show, a little sound effect. And the question was, who is the walking man? And I guess it lasted as like water cooler talk for a couple of months. Okay. And they had a bunch of different like riddles on various different shows. So one was Bing Bong Bell. It's 10 and only one can tell. Master of the Metropolis fits his name quite well. Uh, so I wouldn't have been able to get that question. Anyway, the no. point is, is eventually Florence Hubbard in uh, a March 18th, 1948 broadcast actually guessed that Jack was the walking man. He literally was. And she won a lot of money. That those are good. Those are good prizes even today. What did she win? Do you know the prize? I didn't. It was something like twenty three thousand dollars or something. Wow, that's amazing. That's a lot of money. And and they did try various different things like and a bunch of like stuff. Yeah, sure, sure. Right. But they tried like Bing Crosby, and people would call in all the time, and and they would just kept deepening it. You know, there should be more of that. I often joked that I should do a, a radio drama game show. That'd be kind of fun to do as a as, as a, like a once a month thing, but I I don't know how I would format it. I've never done a game show before, but I think it'd be fun to have well, people come in and you know guest trivia of, of radio drama. Well, what's the great one on NPR? Is it Wait Wait Don't Tell oh, Me? Oh yeah. Have you ever listened to that? Yeah. The game show on NPR down. It's, yeah, I've it's... heard that, and I, I love the British ones. The British ones are great too. Like the British ones, just yeah. a minute, which is great. Yeah, there is. So there is a. I mean, I'm not sure how you, how it would happen, but there's certainly. Certainly, some history on those shows on well, radio. Hey, if anybody has an idea of how to create a game show, that would be drama, fun. Let me know. 
that'd be fun we could we could all set that up um so that was yeah that was the walking man he was the walking man after all that and they made a big joke out of it right so So he really was was. which is kind of cool that's it there was a mention of jurgens yep yeah which is still around today so yes sure is yeah he's got some pretty knees he had yes. some pretty knees. That came up about three times, right? Did. Yes. They <laughs> just didn't the drop knee, it. The knee call back. Yeah, Dennis Day had funny. a couple of whistles there. Wolf whistles for that. Yes, yep. he did. <laughs> Dennis Day. I was expecting the uh, stick-up artist at the end to uh, to make some sort of like final joke about his yes. apron or something like that. You know, it would have been like, hey, ma'am. Oh, wait, oh, sir. That you know, whatever. Funny, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's right. Well, even Jack knew he had good-looking yeah. legs, right? He said he yeah. Tan, that would I wouldn't even wear stockings. <laughs> well, he said it, yeah. The Andrew Jurgens company actually began way back in 1882 wow. so they've been around a long oh, yeah. long time and jurgen's lotion is their most popular thing mm-hmm. so i guess it's funny that they mentioned it obviously people knew names of products at, like we you know to do a certain i would say even more so at that time period because i think i mean right. i remember almost every family including my own growing up in the in the 70s and 80s had a lot of brand loyalty i do too yeah you know, my mom used Jurgen's lotion and she wouldn't use anything else but Jurgen's lotion. And some other guys' parents would have some other type of lotion, you know. Wow. It was kind of weird. There was a lot of brand loyalty. Really? Wow. Okay. I, I didn't know that. I mean, like, I, I could tell, obviously, by the way that they set up the show. Because Jurgen's wasn't somebody that was they were, get, you know, getting money from. They weren't one of the sponsors. Yeah. From what I could tell. But that it's still mentioned, right? Nowadays, you wouldn't mention it unless you had a sponsor specifically from it. You might get in trouble right. if you did yep. mention it nowadays. Now, I, I want to mention, too, that Dennis Day, his voice creeps me out. It's always creeps me <laughs> That little young voice thing. My mother's sort of like horrified. Yeah, that little that young that, voice. Yeah. It's true. And, and he always speaks in, in a little bit of like a breathless, like he's trying to be a torch singer. That's right. <laughs> And then he's got this huge, like, amazing, <laughs> full voice. But he always, like, speaks like, oh, he's in the highest register. Hello, Mr. Benny. How you doing? You know, like, it's like, yeah. uh, so it's very strange. Uh, on the other hand, you've got, what a rich voice Phil Harris is. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. huge personality. It's no surprise he plays, like, Baloo the Bear, you know, in Jungle Book way back in 67. Because he's just got this massive booming personality he was a jazz musician a comedian an actor a singer married to a, a singer actress and they had their own show too alice Fay was his oh right i didn't wife. know that yeah oh yeah the harrison Fay show uh he left the jack benny show for a while mm-hmm. and so phil harris and alice Fay, i think it's literally the name of the show so a lot of fun with i love phil harris i just think he's one of my favorite voices great for that yeah reason. and uh i thought it was interesting i thought the uh orchestral song that he plays which was cool and also setting up a joke, but that was probably like the only, to me, real cringeworthy joke of the uh, the Native American Indian thing at the end of like, oh, yes, you know, yes. and it doesn't bother me personally, but I can go like, oh, I can see so many people cringing right now. Absolutely. You know, you know what? Jack Benny was cringing. He's like, no, 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 we don't want to go there. Come on, guys. Okay. This is a Western, you know, don't, don't go. Cause True. You could tell that it was kind of bothering him that they were trying to like, yeah. you know, make fun of war hoops or something like that in this respect kind of thing. So he's like, stop it, stop it kind of thing. Oh, boy. And that's another one of his calls. Yes, exactly. Lines. Now cut, cut that, that out. out. Which, how many times did Bugs Bunny do that? <laughs> Just an imitation of, uh, you know, Jack Benny? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, sure. For sure. But, you know, I yeah, but- I found when I listened to it, I enjoyed it. And I went back and I listened to it again. And I kind of put myself in the mindset of being in a living room in 1948 as much as I could. And I found that it resonated much more to me that way. If I could imagine myself in post-war America just listening to the Jack Benny show. And I was able to enjoy it even much, much more. To put myself into, try and put myself into that moment as much as yeah. possible. 
but I thought it was fabulous. And it really, it's like it is a family show for like you know what I mean. It's mm-hmm. not so, you could sit down with the family and not be like afraid back in those days that there would be too much blue humor or something like that. You know what I mean? Right. Right. So and I think that those were definitive decisions because they knew that everybody liked to sit down and, and listen to Jack Benny together for that reason. So mm-hmm. you're yep. absolutely right. I love by the way, uh, Hoy D Toy from Phil Harris, which yeah. is like if you don't know the phrase, it's Hoy D Toy. Yep. Right? Yep. Which is which means usually it's it's a, a marked of an air of assumed importance. Oh, you're being yes. Really, oh yeah, you're being really pretentious. Yes. Or sometimes it just means yeah. you're being silly, right? Yeah, exactly. Toy, yeah. Being really pretentious. We don't use those uh, that phrase. I also really liked the probably the longest joke in this particular episode, which was Ronald Coleman and his wife giving the really bad western dialogue before the punchline of well we just wanted to offer it to you before we give it to gabby hayes oh yes mm-hmm. you know, yeah yeah that's gabby right yeah. for people who don't know gabby hayes by name if you've watched any old westerns and you've seen the crotchety old prospector or whatever prospector, it's like right. he's the only person who really you know people think of when they think of that role and it, you know, it was so stereotyped that it was it was just yeah. perfect because you know as so i'm listening going like god they should get gabby hayes to do this and then of course the joke comes you know or if you've that's watched right. blazing saddles yes <laughs> The guy you can't, the guy you, the guy you can't understand. I love my mister. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sheriff, sheriff. I love, yeah. I love yeah. playing those kind of Gabby characters That's myself, it. the westerns. So, yeah, they're, they're, it's because, yeah, it's it's that old prospector. Ooh, we got me some gold. <laughs> you know, you know? And of course, Kelsey Grammer plays the prospector in uh, Toy oh, Story. He does. Right? Yeah. Oh, he that's totally right. Does. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So the other person I just want to mention too is uh, Don Wilson and. Mm-hmm. It's, it always kind of makes me sad because all the jokes about Don either gets or gives is about how fatty is. How fatty is, yeah. The rotund. Oh. I think the word is rotund they use, right? Yes, they say rotund. But he yeah. says even specifically in this line because they talk about how he's going to be in this Western with Ronald Coleman. And Don Wilson says, I don't know if I got through the fat of my head on that one. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, right. So, yeah. Yep. yeah. So that's... it continues all the way through. And again, these are things that... At the time, people would have laughed, you know, like they would have just like killed themselves laughing because it wasn't a big deal. Nowadays, with body image issues, you know, people are really a lot more concerned. That would never fly. Right. Never. Yeah. But, you know, to be fair, he was with them all the way through. You know what I mean? If, mm-hmm. if it was something that really upset Don. He obviously did not have a thin no, skin. No, <laughs> definitely not. He'd been a long performer himself and a singer, a really excellent singer. By the way, Don has a beautiful voice, and yet they don't have him perform nearly as much as other. And that's where they get the sportsmen and stuff like that, right? The sportsman quartet, mm-hmm. which yep. did that particular song. And I guess the sportsmen were a regular on Jack Benny. You know, I I think that we need to go back to the beginning because I have super brand loyalty to Lucky Strike Cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> um, <laughs> L-S-M-F-T. I, and you don't even yeah, smoke. You know, I smoke like six packs a day, although I don't think you can get them anymore. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> those commercials were just so, I don't know, they were so bizarre. They were. With with the repetition, the L-S-M-F-T, L-S-M-F-T. Almost all of the cigarette commercials, you know, on these old-time radio shows, like the, the Philip Morris ones with uh, Johnny on the Spot, I mean, they're just they're just bizarre. Yeah, and the T-Zone. Right. Getting your T-Zone, right? <laughs> you know, what, what, what do you mean your T-Zone? What's your I have t-zone? no idea. It strikes your T-zone. Well, your tobacco zone? I guess. Like, everybody has a tobacco zone? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> I guess Lucky Strikes was one of their main uh, contributors, but then when they moved networks, it, it became Jell-O. And I think so, I read that Lucky Strike was the longest. Oh, okay. Yes. 
of all of them. But it's interesting. I just watched uh, mm. on YouTube. They have a Lucille Ball, like one of her later shows with Gail Gordon, mm-hmm. and they actually have Jack Benny show up. Oh, right. And they do the whole bit about him being cheap because she works at a bank, and so she wants she'll get more money if she can add new people in the bank. And they do a whole spiel about how protective he is keeping his stuff at home, right? And so then they take him to the bank and they take him underground, <laughs> and you know they have like a a chopper there, like the, you know that tears like looks like a guillotine if somebody goes through and they haven't hit the right thing you know and they end up sort of going into quicksand and they're and they're going lower and lower into quicksand and jack's really happy he's like yeah i'll put my money in here and they just like shake hands just before they both <laughs> go under kind of thing so wow. the fact that they were able to and he mentions like i think it's like one of the passwords he has is j-e-l-l-o and then he makes a, a joke about how back in the day you had to do a lot for sponsors or something you know so right, funny. so he had these callbacks even later on when the show was off the air a lot of people would have remembered those things one of the things I didn't mention about Phil, by the way, do you know that Philip Harris is his, like, Phil is, is his second name? No. Aloysius? It's weirder than that. It's Wonga. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wonga Philip like Harris. Like W-A-N-G-A or W-O-N-G? W-O-N-G-A. Like Congo wow. with an A. Wonga. Oh, okay. Should have named my kids one of those so names. Like, yeah. That is a very bizarre name. So I yeah. don't know how that got through. So those were the main characters. The big thing that we wanted to talk about, and we're running out of time, I know we've been getting right into this, is the element of the longest laugh. Now, yes. right. everybody thought that the longest laugh was when he's held up by the robber and he says... Your money or your life. And there's a pause. Mm-hmm. And then he says, well, and the laughter hits. And then he says, well, and he says, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Right. And, and the idea was, and I remember this, which is weird. Maybe it's one of these, you know, uh, alternate universe things that we've been forced into. <laughs> but I, I remember it going on forever, the laughter. And yet it doesn't. It's only like five or six seconds or seven seconds. But people laughed at the fact that it was his character, right? right? Because he was such a skinflint. So literally the laugh duration is only five seconds for your money or your life. And the reprise is is another seven seconds. However, if you go down, there are other shows of his that are much longer. So Andy Devine says the new Jelly series back in, in December 13th, 1936, and the crowd goes nuts for 32 seconds. 32? That's a long time. Wow. Yeah, just because of the slip-up. That's a long time. And then there's one that's even longer. It's at least 35 seconds when Frank Nelson says he got his suspenders unfastened. <laughs> and so for some reason, that was enough. So there's a whole page, by the way, that actually this guy took the time to actually time all these things out. That's funny. But it's fascinating because if you ask everybody in the Jack Benny show, they'll all tell you it was a different time. Mm. So Mm -hmm. Jack himself maintains that the longest laugh came from April 25th, 1948 program. Don Wilson and Dorothy Kirsten are engaged in a deep discussion of opera using a lot of jargon. And Jack inserts himself, well, well, I thought... To which Mary snaps, oh, shut up. (laughs) Because again, Jack always, even though he wasn't necessarily well bred in any way, he always argues that he is. He's the most classy in the whole bit. So that would have been a huge laugh from people as well. Well, now he was was the master of just staring at the audience, right? Yeah, and the thing is, you You, don't catch that until the television show. You can feel it on the radio, but you can't see it. Yeah. Yeah. So on the television show, he would make a comment like that, like, I'm thinking about it, and he would just stare at the audience, and he was 
confident enough or whatever the word would be to just do that and let that happen. And that's so hard. That's so difficult for an actor to do that. Sure. Because everybody wants to rush. Yes. But he just allowed it to happen. He would probably just, as long as he would stare at them, they would probably just keep laughing. <laughs> yeah. So part of it was probably just the stare, For sure. you know, too, as well. And, and the audience just loved it. And uh, he was he was a master at that and, and timing and, and, you know, all of that. And, and being self-effacing, just, uh, you know, he was a, he is just a gem. There's no question. Absolutely. Yes, he was. I, I think, too, yeah. and we can get Lothar's thought on this in a minute. I don't know if you know this, but the whole shtick that he had about the violin he was actually a pretty decent violin player but yes. he always played up that he was terrible and in the in the lucille ball show it starts off with him playing like beautifully the violin and she knocks on the door and he stops and the violin music is still playing and he goes and pulls <laughs> off the record right he says i'll be back in a minute but he held on to the violin and used it in his shtick because he was too nervous he didn't know what to do with his hands it's also old vaudeville stuff right you know you got to bring in oh. the music too yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. For sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What were your thoughts about the 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 big joke and his timing, L Lothar? I oh the time the timing was absolutely perfect. Uh, you know, I I personally liked the I'm sorry, kid. We'll then get off joke better, but not not because it was technically better. It just hit my funny bone a little bit better. Yeah, that was good. But yeah. um, no, I mean it was it was absolutely perfect. It was also the quintessential Jack Benny sort of thing. And when I was telling Jan what our um what show we're doing this month. And I, and I talked about that joke. She goes, Oh yeah, I, I remember that. Cause you know, she heard it fr with her parents as a kid. Right. And so it's like, yeah, it's, it's really famous to anybody who paid attention to Jack Benny is mm -hmm. whether it be in this particular episode or something else, but that type of Jack Benny joke is so foundational to who he is. Everybody loves it because it's coming back again. Yeah. And I guess nowadays that's like a, a regular focus in sitcoms is you get the character and while they throw like jokes back and forth, it's really the character that, that nails how funny that is. So, like, for example, people love Big Bang Theory. Mm -hmm. It's the main characters in the Big Bang Theory and their awkwardness with certain things, mm -hmm. which makes it a joke that is somewhat funny, so much more funny yeah. for people. Oh, there's no question. And there's no question that an actor, now this is thinking of it from a live perspective, that you know when you're on stage and an actor tells a joke, and the reaction of the other people on stage is paramount to that landing of the joke oftentimes, you know, because the it's a semiotic system, you know, where yep. you send a signal to the audience and the audience sends a signal back. So, so it, it's important that people on stage, and I'm always saying that as a theater director, make sure you're listening and reacting to what's right. going on because the audience is taking cues from you. Yep. The listening part in the Jack Benny show is almost like the, one of the best parts of the whole show. Mm -hmm. yep. Those actors, all of them, are listening really carefully to each other right. and finding exactly the right moment to insert their lines. Yeah, they're letting it breathe. They're letting there be space for lines to land. Yeah. As they're leaving space for the audience to put themselves into it, and I think that's important. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Oh, no question. And I think it helps that they did it as a, with a live audience, too. Or, you, know. you can really feel from the actors the energy of being on a live stage. It, you know, sure. It, that's a weird thing to sort of say, but I think anybody who's you know, been around the stage, either as an you know, uh, audience or on stage or, or both, can sort of pick up that energy mm -hmm. you know, and, and recognize when it's there. There's no question, and that's why you know one thing with actors, working with actors, they'll come off stage sometimes in a, right. in a matinee, and going, oh, this audience is giving us nothing. Yes. Yep. You know, and I'll say, well, you've, you've got to transcend that. You know, yep. it's just got to keep going. And, 
you can't rely on that. If it's there, then something magical may happen. But if it's not, you just got to keep pushing through. Yep. It's such a mood in mm-hmm. the in the theater, isn't it? You can feel oh, yeah. it's tangible. You can feel it for sure. sure. Yeah. It's part of it because the audience completes the circle in the theater. Yep. I've always felt that no work of art is complete until it's been experienced by an audience in some way. Yep. And so yep. when you do a, a live theater show, the circle, it's like the Japanese Enso, you know, it's an open circle. And then mm-hmm. the audience fills in that last gap because that's their part that they play in the live production. The audience has a part in the production. Yep. You know, and that's why it's always nice when people send us emails and comments and things like that, because in a way they're completing the, the dialogue that's happening between us and then them. Yeah. I, I think that's important. That's a great place to end the show. Absolutely. <laughs> is, is our audience completing the circle. Well, there you go. Uh, any last thoughts? I just want to let people know that you should, if, you, if you're interested, by all means, go check out the Jack Benny Radio Show. It lasted from 33 to 49 in various different networks. So there's a ton of episodes available oh, yeah. that, uh, that are there for people to listen to. And he had a television show that lasted almost a decade as, or more than a decade as well between two different, both CBS and NBC. Mm-hmm. So by all means, go listen to Jack Benny. He is one of the great classics. Any last thoughts, uh, Lothar and nope. Jack? Echoing what you said. I just think it was a great choice, Jack, to bring that. It was so much fun to listen to. And I would encourage our listeners to uh, close up the circle too and send us emails and, <laughs> exactly. and uh, let us know what you think. Yep. Throw your two cents in as well. Well, thank you so much, Lothar. Thank you so much, Jeff, my amigos. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will see you next month, same time, same station. And remember, LSMFT. <laughs> no, let's go with SEMFT. SEMFT. Sonic Echo means fine theater. Sonic Echo means fine theater. Good night. Good night, Bye, guys. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Buongiorno. I am Flaudio, and I am very interested in what makes audio drama work. I want to share with you my recipe for a perfect evening. An evening for two lovers. Lovers of audio drama. When I plan an audio drama, I want to make sure that everything is perfect for us. The soundscape is the most important thing to set the mood for the night. When I lay in a special ambiance or sound effect, It is very important because it can express what I feel so perfectly. A sound effect can speak for the story when words just cannot capture the love I feel. Love I feel for you. When it is dark, I turn on the sound effects. I turn up the soundscape. And the voices can then dance in a 
perfect state of bliss, where there is no world except the one we make with our love. No time except what is needed for our story to play out. A story that we will make come true. This audio drama public service announcement was brought to you by the Amigos. The Mutual Audio Drama Network, where we listen and imagine together.